we as technologists are not going to necessarily be able to answer all of the benefits. We're going to see really novel ways of pathologists using our software and using some of the AI technologies that Prosha has as well. And that that will be that will be adopted and, and forwarded by pathologists in ways that we didn't expect. Welcome to the People of Pathology Podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, forensic science, and how to help patients understand their pathology reports. You've no doubt heard about cloud computing and cloud storage, but what is it really? How does it work? Is it secure, especially for patient data? And how do we use it in pathology? Jeff Rood is the VP of Technical Operations at Prosha, and he's going to help us understand everything about the cloud. All right, let's get right into it with Jeff Rood. I, I want to get into your role at Prosha a little bit, but before before we do that, can we kind of start like, like at, I guess at the beginning or even sort of before the beginning? Like, what was it that brought you to Prosha? Certainly, the the mission digital pathology is very interesting. Really tackling and and looking at cancer, I think. So many lives are affected by that disease. Everyone knows somebody that, that's had it, maybe recovering, maybe has not. And so really making a difference in technology, that's interesting. I mean, you can go work for a lot of different companies out there, but the mission makes a difference. And, you know, we're not building widgets. We really are making an impact in people's lives. And so being in healthcare IT, which I've done for some time, is always really interesting. And Prosha as a growing fast-paced company is certainly something I wanted to be a part of building something amazing. Okay. I've heard that from, I mean, I've talked to several people from Prosha now and pretty much everybody says the same thing about the, the mission. So that, that mm -hmm. checks out. And you said you, you've been in healthcare IT for a while now. Like, has it always been, as far as IT, has it always been healthcare IT or have you been in other areas? Yeah, not always. I came from a really rich enterprise background, consulting to oil companies mostly. So there was quite a difference in that. And the, and the business of that is quite different. I got into healthcare IT through a startup, uh, Victoria, BC in Canada, and we were subsequently acquired by a larger entity. And that was a medical messaging software. So pretty, pretty high stakes. It was a lot of fast moving messages in healthcare. It was all dealing with patient information. And in some cases we were in the path of life safety. So where that technology really mattered that that message got delivered on time and accurately in, in this role, it's a little bit different, but the, the same challenge exists. I think that building software, which really impacts patients' lives is something that I really enjoy being in and doing an excellent job at it is something that drives me because it is so important to have accurate and timely information for pathologists in this case and for patients. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I, I, you, you know, you said that the messaging was high stakes. I mean, this is mm -hmm. sort of also high stakes, just kind of in a it different is. way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Not quite as, I guess, quite as timely where some somewhat seconds matter, but certainly mm -hmm. the accuracy of information matters here. Okay. So I, now you're VP of technical operations at ProSha. And 
can we get into like, what, what does that mean? What are, what are your responsibilities in this role? Yeah, I see it as three distinct areas. Technical operations is really the operations of the software and our software as a service model that we host at ProSha. We also have two other areas that I'm responsible for. The IT security, so anything information security-wise is under my purview, as well as any internal IT. And internal IT is more business-facing ProSha IT, things like internal software like Google Workspace, for example, or or identity providing. The technical operations uh, also extends to our um, on-prem installations, our deployment model for the software that we deploy that is not in cloud. Okay, I see. How direct is your interaction with like the customer? We have okay. a great solutions architecture and professional services group that interface mostly on a uh, pre-sales and post-sales level, designing solutions with customers. Uh, we really, on the tech ops side, back those people up. We back them up, our frontline support personnel, our sales personnel. So we're in the background doing a lot of the work that keeps our systems up and developing tools that help our uh, professional services deploy software to customer sites. So really the, the silent group that is keeping things running. So a, a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight is the the cloud. And I'm, I know people can't see me, I'm using air quotes. And this is a term that's thrown around a lot, especially talking about IT. And it's it's become actually pretty popular these days. So let's let's define what is the cloud? What does that mean? The cloud, what typically that means is a company that's hosting um, a bunch of machines, uh, compute resources and storage, spinning disk, uh, and that is at scale. So they have a large number of machines, a large number of spinning disks that customers can use and pay as you go. You can rent compute by the hour, you can rent storage by the day, and you are able to use those resources off and on. So it's really a model where customers can take only what they need rather than purchasing hardware, implementing it in a data center, connecting everything together and hiring resources to do that work, professional services and operational resources. You simply, for the amount of dollars it would cost you to purchase an hour of compute or a gigabyte of storage, it's all encompassed in that cost. So it's much faster for companies to deploy software or to host software in the cloud and much faster for them to adopt that without having all of that burden of infrastructure and operational management. Okay, I see. So it's the speed and it, 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 it costs less, right? Typically, when we look at, you know, a dollar for dollar comparison between a computer with the same resources that you might purchase from Dell or HP, for example, and a cloud computer of the same specifications, the cloud computer may cost more. But the nice thing about the cloud computer is you can turn it off and on and you get billed by the hour. It also comes with all the power and cooling that it needs. And if it breaks, the cloud company fixes it for you. You can use different technologies that are built into the cloud as well. Things like resiliency and recoverability are all taken care of for you. So it's not something you have to worry about as a customer. I can, I can see how this would be appealing, especially to like startups probably. 
For sure. Yeah. And, and enterprises as well. Microsoft mm -hmm. has made huge leaps and bounds uh, with cloud technologies back in, you know, even not that long ago, 10 years ago, a lot of companies were hosting their own mail servers and their own exchange servers. Exchange is what runs Outlook, for example. Almost nobody oh, does sure. that anymore. Microsoft simply bills that out on a, on a monthly basis, a subscription where you don't need to host that anymore. You don't need to buy those machines and hire an administrator. You just simply purchase this as a service now. And that's all running in a, in a cloud platform. All right, so now we know what the cloud is, but there are different types of cloud storage. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about these. We've got a public cloud, private cloud, and hybrid cloud. All right, so, so can you explain what these are? And then I want to get into like, how they're the same and different and what the advantages are. Sure. Public cloud would be the three main cloud providers that I'm sure that you've heard of before. Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud Engine are the three main cloud vendors. Those would be public clouds. In some cases, they have segregated areas of that cloud to be more compliant with particular regulations. For example, if you were a government entity and you required certain specifications, they might segregate some parts of their cloud and that might be private to you and that might not be shared with any other tenants. So in the case of public cloud, you might be on the same computer as the, your neighbor or a different company or a competitor. There's very tight segregation in software between those, but in some cases you might want additional segregation. And that would be a private cloud, something you might use as a private to be segregated against your neighbors. And then you might have a hybrid cloud. And the hybrid cloud could be a situation where you have usage of public cloud and you have a connectivity to your data center. So you might um, use public cloud for that elastic workload. Things that are um, more elastic in nature could be image processing, like for digital pathology. You might see a large amount of images come and process, and then, you know, when everybody goes home at night, you don't see any more images. And that's like an elastic workload. You could use the public cloud for that, and maybe you have a static workload. Things that are happening all the time and storage that might be used all the time, and that could be hosted at your data center. So you might have both of those running at the same time and simply move data between those two platforms. That would be a hybrid cloud environment. So it almost seems like hybrid cloud in, in a lot of cases might be the way to go because of the flexibility of that. Is it that... could be, yeah. I mean, you would have still the costs associated with data centers. In some cases, customers are building their own data center, really highly costly activity. There's a lot that goes into it, physical security, power and cooling and redundancy in those power and cooling technologies and connectivity to the internet. You have to build all this and operate it. That requires staff and money to do that. And you may elect to simply run all of your workloads in the cloud if that doesn't make sense for you. So it's really a choice, I think, for any company to look at all of the options that they have available. And some elect for full public cloud, some elect for private, and some elect for hybrid. Mm -hmm. Okay. Are there any specific functions that you would want to use only private cloud for? Does that, does that make sense? 
Certainly, yeah. You may elect to use a private cloud if you're, say, a government entity. That may require specific compliance with a particular regulation. Something like FedRAMP would be a good example of that. And in some cases, you may not be able to use public cloud. In that case, companies like AWS and Azure offer private cloud, which they will sell to you at a cost. And you can sometimes tailor your requirements for higher security standard or specific requirements that your business may have. And usually really based around security or availability of resources. Like any shared resource, you may have a noisy neighbor. And so in that case, you may elect for a private cloud so you have dedicated hardware to you. And that could still be hosted in a cloud environment. So we've got a better understanding of what the cloud is and the different types of cloud storage. So let's get specifically into digital pathology. What are the benefits there of using the cloud? Yeah, as I mentioned before, we've got digital pathology actually lends itself very well to cloud technologies. That elastic scaling is really nice, where we have a large number of large images in digital pathology. We see sometimes multi-gigabyte images that require processing time um, to split them up and to serve them for viewing or to process them and um, do whatever we need to do with them. And that takes time. Those images usually come as batches. They're not a standard stream of images that happen 24-7. So the nice thing about cloud is you have this elastic workload idea where you can scale up. So you can create a bunch of machines in the cloud very quickly. You can use those to process your tasks, all these images coming in during the day. And then when they're not busy, they simply scale down. Those machines just go away and you don't pay for them anymore. It's a really big benefit of the cloud. Further to that, we have scalability. So where we would need to, if we were doing this ourselves on-prem, think about our peak workloads. So we think about the most amount of images that we have to process at a particular time, and we'd have to buy for that. We'd also have to think about storage two, three years down the road. How much storage will we really need in three years based on the images coming in? We might be wrong. We might, we might estimate that too low and run out of disk space, and that is difficult to procure. The nice thing is, is with cloud, we can simply scale up almost infinitely. We have this elastic workload where we can increase that workload at will, and we can process a large number of images, and then we can also store a large number of images, and that can continue to increase year over year or month over month. We don't have to worry about this capacity planning anymore or budget for that peak workload. We just simply use what we need to at the time. There are lots of other benefits in terms of security and reliability. With large cloud vendors, we, we have this thing called economies of scale. They're buying a lot of resources that they resell to other customers and what that allows for is better tooling for security tooling, for example, better monitoring, and better controls where uh, physical security is typically much higher in a cloud data center than it would be on your own. If you can imagine, it's very costly to provide security and monitoring, manned security guards, technical controls on every cabinet, for example, or every door where you might have a card swipe and maybe a fingerprint reader. It's very costly to maintain on your own, and companies like AWS and, and Azure have all of these built in. 
reliability aspects is we can deploy in the cloud to multiple data centers at the same time that are separated by sometimes a few kilometers or or several kilometers for disaster recovery. And all of those data centers are exactly the same. So we have multiple data centers that we can deploy to. And even with that elastic scalability, we can deploy to one. If something goes down in that data center, we just simply deploy to another very quickly. So that can happen much more quickly in a cloud environment. In addition, we have access to cost prohibitive technologies where artificial intelligence or machine learning models may require more high-end computers, things like what we call GPUs. And we can do that in the cloud much more readily. We can rent that hardware without purchasing it up front. So in case we want to use that, we can rent it for the hour or several hours that we need it versus purchasing it and and keeping it running for the next few years. Okay, this is interesting because I, I think kind of at the beginning and, and maybe still a little bit of the kind of digital pathology, if you want to call it a revolution or uh, whatever word you want to use, but the whole storage aspect was a concern, I think mm-hmm. even from the beginning because these images are so big. And so this is one of the huge upsides of using the cloud because you've got, I don't, I, don't want, I don't know if it's infinite storage, but the storage can grow as your sort of data set grows. Yeah, for sure. And, and you only pay for what you use, which is really nice. So, you know, in the case of buying storage, for example, if I think about buying storage, that would take, you know, from procurement of that storage to actual implementation could take a few months in some cases by the time you get approval to order the hardware and then you order that hardware gets delivered and you have your IT personnel implement that hardware you get it spun up to where it's usable and you have to pay for the total amount you're going to use in 2 to 3 years it's not easy to scale up you know a few gigs at a time but in the cloud we simply are able to do that and we're only paying for what we use versus if you were doing this yourself, you'd have to pay for all of that hardware up front. So you'd need to pay for that and three years ahead of the time that you need to use it. Okay, yeah, so that sounds like a huge advantage. It's a huge advantage, oh. yeah. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Jeff Rood. We'll be right back. LabVine is an interactive online learning platform where laboratory professionals learn, develop, and discover by sharing knowledge and building on each other's experience. The platform provides global access to internationally accredited laboratory-specific courses and other resources developed by lab specialists, like us, for the laboratory industry. LabVine is free to sign up, and you can use the link in the show notes to get started. If you're trying to understand the ever-changing world of digital pathology and image analysis, there's a new course that can help you, Pathology 101 for Tissue Image Analysis. Now, this course was created by Dr. Alexandra Zhirov, who you might remember from episode 53 of this podcast. She also writes the Digital Pathology Place blog and hosts the Digital Pathology Podcast. Pathology 101 for Tissue Image Analysis aims to bridge the gap between computer science and pathology and explains some of the complicated concepts in image analysis. You can sign up for this course by following the link in the show notes. Now for the rest of my conversation with Jeff Rood from Prosha on the People of Pathology Podcast. I want to go back to, you mentioned a little bit about security. I want to go back to that because this is another big concern. There's, there's skepticism about using the cloud for that reason of using, of storing patient information 
essentially somewhere else? And, and how secure is that? So, so tell me about that. How secure is this data compared to something would be like locally stored? Yeah, I think some companies are resistant and, and hesitant to move to a public cloud for patient data, and that's understandable. I think, though, most companies are not hosting their own data center today. They have a third party doing that anyway. So, I mean, that is, is somewhat happening today with just about every company is hosting their computers and their, their server room is actually somewhere else. It's at a third party. This is just another step through that. I think what you saw not that long ago is companies like big telcos offering space in their own data centers that companies took advantage of and placed their gear inside that. And there were lots of reasons for that, including physical security. So it's simply much more cost effective and much more cost efficient for a large company that is hosting multiple customers to implement better physical controls of their data center, fire suppression, cooling, all of those things that would be cost prohibitive for you to do yourself. So there's the physical control layer that these cloud companies have and that you can use when you move to the cloud. I think that moving to a cloud environment, your security posture is actually much better if done correctly than hosting it yourself. The technologies that we have in the cloud at our disposal beyond physical security are much better than we see in uh, on-prem data center, simply again, because of that economies of scale. Things like security monitoring is better. The technologies that exist to prevent ransomware attacks are better. And that's because of that economies of scale. You simply cost a lot to implement that sort of thing if you're going to do it yourself. Okay, that's intriguing that the, the security in the cloud is better than if you had it on site. Yeah, and I mean, you mm -hmm. do see big issues in the news, for example, that are sure. cloud breaches of data. And, and we can learn from those. I think that those are examples of, of how to set up your cloud environment very poorly. And you do have exposure if, if your infrastructure is set up poorly and you haven't evaluated your security posture as you should. And that goes for on-prem data centers as, as well as cloud data centers. I mean, every data center is, is internet connected these days. So there is a front door and you need to do your due diligence and secure that front door properly. Okay. That makes sense. Something else you touched on, I want to go back to that too, as far as like recovery of data, because I think this is another concern about the cloud is you could lose data, but it, it sounds like what you're saying is because it can be stored in multiple locations, that's mm. less of a concern, right? Yeah, absolutely. Less of a concern. And there's a couple of different aspects to that. I think data durability is what you're talking about is, is having that uh, data available to you regardless of location. The technologies available to us in the cloud are, are much better typically than you'd see on-prem and a whole lot less costly. It's difficult to implement solutions for data durability uh, when you're doing it on-prem. It's, it's a costly endeavor. And with cloud technologies um, such as AWS S3 or Azure Blob Storage, which are the two main um, data storage technologies, it's very simple to either replicate data uh, across the country, if you'd like, 
or to multiple data centers within a region. That's a very simple one-to-click sort of activity that you can rely on versus on-premise is doing it yourself is, is much more difficult where you're replicating data, you have systems that replicate data, and then you have personnel to monitor that replication. So, so that's, a, that's a big aspect to it. The other side of it is data protection from things like ransomware or breach. Mostly when we talk about ransomware, we have these entities out there that are looking to break into your environment and are looking to encrypt all of your data and hold that data ransom. So they'll hold a key and you'll have to pay for that key if you want that data back. And so with cloud technologies, we have much better tooling around ransomware um, protection where you can't delete that data. Even if you're an administrator, you simply can't delete the data. So that is well protected and housed by the, the cloud vendor. That reminds me, like where I work, I mean, it's probably at any healthcare institution, like you get, the, you know, just the emails every once in a while that are like fake phishing scams. So you get used to recognizing those because you don't want to click on the link. And then all of a sudden, like you just said, someone gets, the, you know, kind of backdoor access into all the data and they can encrypt it. Um, right. It's awful. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, I'm sure it's an awful thing to have to go through as a IT administrator. To, yeah. to go through that and have to broker that connection with some nefarious entity that's holding your data hostage. Sure, sure, I can imagine. Mm -hmm. So it, it seems like eventually cloud-based storage is going to become a ne necessity because of the size of pathology images, which we already kind of touched on. So then pathologists and other pathology personnel are going to need an understanding of what the cloud is, how to use it. How do we do this? How do we learn this stuff? Yeah, I think that what we saw, which is really inspiring, was a, a revolution with things like ChatGPT. That was surprising and, and really interesting. I think that putting the technology in the hands of, of pathologists is, is going to show us um, what the technology and the software can really do. I think through, there's a lot of education that we can provide to our customers to, to help them get their hands on the tools, to help educate them about the benefits. And that's something that ProSha does on a day-to-day -day basis as part of our pre- and post-sales activities is to, to really educate customers about cloud technologies and what we can do in the cloud and some of the pitfalls with installing um, software and digital pathology software in their own environments. Um, and we'll, we'll continue to do that. So I think it really revolves around education and, and putting the software in the hands of the people that use it and see what they can do. Okay, I like that. It's, it's, you, you get kind of the feedback of the people are using the software and then telling you what, what they can do with it and maybe what, what they need or don't, yeah. or don't need. And then it's, it's it, it adapted to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that we're always surprised to see what our customers are, are doing and how they're leveraging the software. Things that we didn't really envision might happen with the, with the software. Okay. We're learning from that all the time. So it's, it's a two-way street. It's not just us educating customers. It's the other way around as well. And we're 
taking those lessons and implementing it into our software to make it better. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, li I like that aspect a lot. Are, are there organizations that are already using the cloud for digital pathology? Absolutely. We have a number of customers that are cloud only, public cloud or private cloud. So we see a wide adoption of that. We also provide software as a service at ProSHA. So it's simply a, you don't have to implement it on your own prem. You don't have to set up your own servers. You simply order the software and we provide it to you over the internet. So very similar to you know, the, the podcast software we're using right now or Zoom yeah. or you know just about anything. There's lots of cloud software out there that you may not realize is cloud-based. And it, this is uh, another piece of software that we can offer our customers directly from our own cloud environment and where we're running that and monitoring it and making sure that it works well. Uh, for you. So you don't have to worry about any of that. It's it's simply done for you and you can just use the software and get back to to what you do best. If, from your experience with, with these customers using the cloud-based software, are there lessons that have been learned from the, those experiences? I think so, yes. Like from our own experience, I mean, or, or generally out in the marketplace? I, I guess from your own experience. Yeah, certainly. I think that we're seeing some interesting uses of, of our software. We're also learning from some of the scalability uh, challenges that some customers may face. And in a lot of cases, customers hosting our software in their cloud environment are much larger than our own customers that are doing SaaS. So we're taking those lessons and some of the scalability challenges that they're seeing and applying those to our own cloud environment. So there's Again, that two-way street where we're really learning from our own customers. We're also seeing some really interesting usage patterns. And we monitor those systems as well if a customer allows us to do that. So we can gain insight and data from those cloud environments um, that sends back to our own data analytics platform. And we can look at software behavior, how customers are using our software. And that goes directly back into our product group uh, to help us improve. I like it that again, that, that sort of feedback loop, I think is re really important for something like this. Absolutely. And it's much faster when mm -hmm. everything's on the internet, we can see that in near real time and, uh, analyze that data much more quickly into really reliable insights that we can feed back into product so that we can make fast paced improvements. Mm -hmm. For sure. Sure. So the future of pathology, I think most people agree that it's going to be like digital pathology in, in the near future is just going to be pathology. Mm -hmm. Like there, it, that's what the future of the field is going to be. So it seems like pathologists especially are going to need to get a handle on this stuff and understand it and become familiar with basically general IT. How important do you think that is that pathologists do this, especially, I mean, we're, when we're talking about AI entering the kind of the, the field? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a technologist, so I think I, I use a computer every day. I certainly couldn't do my job. I wouldn't have a job without a computer. But it's, it's really important for, I think, any industry and pathology especially, where you can be more efficient, you can do things faster, you can have a higher quality of output of work by using these technologies. If we talk about 
things like chat GPT, for example, across all industries, that was, that was a huge improvement and a huge widely adopted software that, that was adopted so rapidly and people were using it in really interesting ways. We as technologists are not going to necessarily be able to answer all of the benefits. We're going to see really novel ways of pathologists using our software and using some of the AI technologies that ProShip has as well. And that that will be that will be adopted and, and forwarded by pathologists in ways that we didn't expect. I think if you if you don't, if you're resistant to technology in your job, I think it's going to it's gonna in some cases leave you behind. I, I think that probably when users are are somewhat resistant to that, things move rather quickly and we don't want anyone to get left behind. I, I agree with that. I mean there's there's kind of there's always that fear of new technologies. And I think it's, it's both ways. A lot of people think, well, it might replace my job. And then the other thing is, oh, God, I have to learn something new and I don't want to do that. Right. Yeah, I think that we're seeing a, a, a wider adoption because of the accessibility of some of these technologies. You know, if we think about ChatGPT again, how how fast that was, was based on how accessible it was. You were just simply talking to this thing in, in natural yeah. language and you could get things done. And I think that same tooling will uh, proliferate with other applications. We're seeing quite a lot of companies now adopting um, a similar interface, a natural language processing interface, where you can speak to the computer in natural language and, and derive answers from that. So we'll see more of that. And I think it'll be easier to use. The barrier of entry learning something new will be much lower. And the benefits will just skyrocket as that very venture goes down, we see more and more people using it in interesting ways. Okay. I like it. That makes, that makes sense. And I, I like ending on this sort of positive note about the, the, the future of the pathology field. Jeff, this has been a really interesting conversation. Uh, I appreciate your time today. Uh, Jeff Rude, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much. Great. Yeah. Anytime. I'm happy to come back. If you're looking for another episode of the People of Pathology podcast to check out after this one, Here's a clip from my interview with Dr. Tom Grogan as he talks about his book, Chasing the Invisible, that chronicles the invention of the first ever immunohistochemistry autostainer. Uh, in our weekly research meeting, because there was a side of the lab that was on the, the side of clinical research, um, we, it, the topic of how, how do we deal with the need to do 50 of these a week as opposed to five. And, uh, there was a, it, I couldn't stop it. The fellows, the residents were getting out to the blackboard and designing their own instrument. So in fact, I then, uh, after a few months of this, um, drew some cartoons that sort of summarized what all the ideas we had. And I realized, uh, okay, that's an amateur effort to, to get it into the practice of medicine. We needed real engineers and real chemists I, and to get them, I needed to raise capital. And to do that, I had to start uh, going to venture capitalists and floating the idea. You can hear more from Dr. Tom Grogan in episode 158. Okay, big thanks to Jeff Rude. So let's review some of the benefits of cloud technology. One significant benefit is the concept of elastic scaling. 
In digital pathology, large images need to be processed efficiently. These images often come in batches and require significant processing power and storage capacity. The cloud's elastic scaling feature allows for the rapid deployment of additional computing resources as needed. When a surge in image processing tasks occurs, cloud resources can be quickly scaled up to handle the workload. By utilizing software as a service models, pathologists can access advanced tools and technologies without the burden of setting up and maintaining their own systems. This approach not only streamlines workflow, but also allows for better security and data durability. You can also leverage AI-powered tools to analyze and interpret images, leading to more accurate and timely diagnoses. Embracing these technologies will require pathologists to develop IT skills and adapt to new ways of working, and it ultimately leads to improved patient care. It is important for pathology lab personnel to embrace technology to navigate the digital transformation of pathology effectively. By leveraging cloud technologies, advanced software solutions like ProSha and AI-driven tools, pathologists can enhance their efficiency, accuracy, and productivity in a rapidly evolving pathology landscape. Embracing technology is not just a necessity, it's a pathway to unlocking the full potential of digital pathology for the benefit of everyone. As always, you can find links in the show notes to everything we talked about today. Don't forget you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at People of Path, or just connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others. Together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. You can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network. And while you're there, check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Dennis Strank, and I'll talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.